Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. What's unique about the mitzvah of Abris is that it's a mitzvah that becomes part of your body. All the other mitzvot you do with the organs of your body. You use your hands, you use your, your lips, you use your, your legs to go to the mitzvah, to go to the mitzvah. But here, the actual mitzvah itself, this is the actual mitzvah. So you become holy. A part of your body becomes holy. A part of your body that most people don't associate with holiness, and that becomes the holiest. And it's a mitzvah that's always present, 24-7. Because your body has become holy. That's why it's, it's a covenant, it's an eternal covenant with God. Because the object of the mitzvah, the actual object of the mitzvah is actually, it actually has become etched into your body and a part of your body has become an object of a mitzvah, a holy object, a sacred object, a holy object. Unlike the bris, the other organs, they become a chariot through which you do the mitzvah. Just like the chariot takes the rider wherever the rider wants to go, so too, in order for God's will to be fulfilled, God desired that the mitzvah should, should be done. The only way to do the mitzvah is when your legs will take you there and when your hands will do the mitzvah. So at that moment, your hands and your legs become the tools, the chariot, the vehicle through which God's desire is fulfilled. And without them, God's desire couldn't be fulfilled. Without the chariot, without the vehicle, you couldn't get to wherever you want to go. So they become the tools through which your wish is fulfilled. So we become our organs. By fulfilling the mitzvah, our organs becomes the tools through which God's desire is fulfilled. And therefore they become a chariot. So they, at that moment they contain a certain level of holiness. But the bris is unique. The bris, that's what's so special about the mitzvah of the bris. It's not just a chariot, a vehicle, how to fulfill, to implement God's desire. The bris actually becomes the sacred object in itself, becomes a holy object, a sacred object. And that becomes etched in part of the Jew forever and ever. Is that different than how Sukkot or uh, Mikvah would be accounted, which seems to have to do simply with the body and the mikvah? Right, because it doesn't. It's only when you're doing the mitzvah, and then then it leaves. While the hand is putting on tefillin, at that moment your hand is a vehicle, is the implement. While your hand is lighting the Shabbat candle, at that moment your hand is implementing the will of God. The only way to fulfill this desire is by physically taking the match and using your hand, striking the match and lighting the candle. So at that moment, you become a vehicle to express God's will. So you acquire a certain level of holiness. As unified as a vehicle could become with its rider. But, but the mitzvah itself, the object of the mitzvah itself, the briz, that is the mitzvah, that is the desire of God. So that becomes a sacred object. That becomes like a body to a soul like the organ to the soul. The relationships of the organs to the soul are inseparable. And they merge into one. So too, the sacred object becomes a sacred object, becomes a holy object. They merge, they become inseparable with God. And that's, that's bris. And that's why Avraham, although Avraham fulfilled the entire Torah mitzvot voluntarily, before the Torah was given, this is one mitzvah he didn't fulfill. He waited till the age of 99 to be commanded by God. Because no human being has the ability to take a physical object and to make it sacred, no matter how spiritual you are. Abraham was the mystic par excellence. He wrote the book of formation. 
one of the greatest classical works of mysticism ever written. But no matter how mystical you are, no matter how spiritual you are, you don't have the power to take a physical object and to transform it into something sacred, into something holy, where it becomes inseparable and one with God. Only God could, by commanding us to do the mitzvah, by wishing us to do the mitzvah, and by communicating His wish and His desire and His will, He has the power to empower us. Then when we take that object and we do the mitzvah, then that object becomes a sacred object. So Abraham had to wait till God commanded him. It's the only mitzvah that he had to wait. till God commanded him in order to enable to fulfill the mitzvah of a bris, which is making that object, his body, into something holy, a sacred object. So the Jew's body becomes holy. The physical body becomes a sacred object. Especially that part of the body that non-Jews don't associate with holiness. And for a Jew, that is the holiest part of all. It becomes an object of a mitzvah. Is it equivalent for women? Well, it says that women have a status, halachically, they're born as if they're, they're Perfect. circumcised. Right. So we, we are, ho- are we born holy? Is that what you're saying? We don't, well, we don't need that? Well, it says a woman, uh, <laughs> yeah, your whole being is holy. <laughs> That's the woman, her whole being. So she's born as if she's in a status, a state of circumcision. Also, husband and wife are like half souls. So when she lights the candle, she's lighting it for him. When she goes to the mikvah, it's called family purity. She's going to the mikvah for him. When he puts on tefillin, he's putting on tefillin for her. So, so maybe the bris is also for uh, for the whole the whole soul for everyone. Obviously. Uh, the mitzvot that require sacrifice or the mitzvot that are difficult or also in the positive. Everyone has a mitzvah. As discussed elsewhere in the Tanya, everyone has a mitzvah that inexplicably, this is your mitzvah. You can't explain it, but out of the 613 mitzvot, this is your mitzvah. You respond to this mitzvah. One person could be visiting the sick. That's your mitzvah. You go crazy about it. It's just... This gives you energy. This, this enthuses you. This is what gives you energy to do all the other mitzvah. Everyone has their favorite mitzvah. Inexplicably, you can't explain it, but this is your portion. This is your gateway that, that opens up the path for all the other mitzvah. So a person has to know both the positive. You have to know what is your strength, what is your uniqueness, what excites you, what really gets to you in a very positive way, and that unleashes all the energy inside. It gets your juices flowing. That's, that's your inheritance. That's your uh, lot in life. Also, in the challenging area, what's that most difficult part in your life? That's also your lot in life. That's customized, that's unique to you. And unless you deal with it, that's where your Fort Knox is. That's where your gold is buried. The only way you're going to unlock and unleash all the energy in your soul is when you deal with that difficulty. Not ignore it. And of course, that, that has tremendous, tremendous value. So even when you just do the mitzvah, you know, you, it seems to be you're just doing the mitzvah mechanically and by rote. Deep down, your soul is on fire. Whether you're aware of it or not, our soul is on fire. So when you do the mitzvah, it touches you in a very deep place, not on a conscious level, because you're asleep, but it's there. And it doesn't change the effect of the mitzvah. The, myth, the effect of the mitzvah, you've done something holy. It may be covered up, and you don't realize it. And that's sad. That's, that's a tragedy. That's what we call exile, a spiritual exile. You're doing the mitzvah. 
you're a body to God, you're inseparable and completely united with God, then you're asleep. You're doing it begrudgingly. You're doing it perfunctorily, joy, joylessly, without passion, without life. That's the saddest thing of all. That's really, that's really, you're doing something so profound, and yet it's so dark, so joyless, as if someone is forcing you to do it, you know, by rote, or for all the wrong reasons, for ulterior motives. Lightning is going to strike me, God is going to punish me. I mean, it's, right now you're achieving the ultimate, the unity with God, something that the angels could only be envious of you and jealous of you. The angels could only dream of something like that. They, They don't have that opportunity. You can meditate for a thousand years. But when you're doing the mitzvah, you become inseparable and united with God. You should be jumping from joy at the opportunity. But when you're doing the mitzvah and you don't realize that it's an opportunity, and you don't realize what a gift and what a blessing, and, what a, and instead you look at it as, oh, nebuch, oh, they have to go another mitzvah, another obligation, out of guilt or out of fear. That's the saddest of all. That's the greatest tragedy. The religious Jew, who's in a dark place, no joy, no love, no passion, no excitement, no thrill, no, no kavana, no soul. That's, that's the saddest of all. But it doesn't change the fact. The fact is, when you're doing a mitzvah, you are connecting with the essence of God. That's why the Torah says a person should always do the mitzvah, even if you're doing it for an ulterior motive. Get on the train. You're on the train. If you don't do the mitzvah, you miss the boat. You're not a, you miss the train. You can have all the intentions in the world, all the meditations in the world. If you don't physically do the mitzvah, you'll miss the train. Get on the train. So yeah, you're in fourth class. You're hiding under the seat. But once you're on the train, then you can move up to first class. You just have to wake up and, and realize what's going on. Then you can, you can easily tra- transfer to first class. But you're there. You have the mitzvah. You've done it. The deed is done. You have that connection. The link is there. It's hidden. It's buried. It's concealed. But it's there. The money is in the bank. You're just not accessing it. But it's there. So a person should do a mitzvah even with an ulterior motive because deep down inside, even when you're asleep, deep down your soul is on fire. There are things happening on a much deeper level that we, can, we can't even fathom. And the soul is aware of what's happening. The soul does know on the deepest levels, the soul knows what happens when you do a mitzvah. And the soul is on fire and the soul is jumping from joy. But on the conscious level, totally unaware. Just like within a person, we have different levels of will. There are things that you really want in life. That's your ultimate goal. That's your ultimate desire. And then there are things that you do in order to get what, what you really want. There are many things you have to do. Many things that perhaps you're not really interested in doing. But the only way to get what you really want... For example, a person, a person works. You, not everyone is fortunate to enjoy everything that they do, everything they have to do. But you do it because you want to get paid at the end of the week. Now, why do you want to get paid? That's also not the ultimate desire. There's a reason why you want to get paid. What do you want to do with that money? So th- there's, there are many layers. You know, maybe there's something that you look forward to all week and that's what you want to do, and there, this enables you to do it. Or, you're, or a person is amassing wealth, and that's how, that's the identity is, t- is tied up to your wealth, whatever it is. But th- there's the ultimate purpose, the ultimate goal. But in order to get to that goal, there are many things I have to do. So that's what we call an external will. 
That's just a means to an end. The end, this is where I really come alive. This is what I really want to do. But in order to get to that uh, end, there are many things I have to do. I may not despise it, but I have to do it. It's not that I really want to do it. If I had a choice not to do it, I wouldn't do it. So there are many things in life which are external. We do it, it's a means to an end. But then there is the inner will. And everything in this world is an analogy. Helps us understand a God, if we look at the source. So, so too, there is the inner will of God and there is the, ex the external will of God. The external will of God is God desired a universe. He created heaven, He created earth, He created angels, He created higher levels of consciousness, He created the physical world, He created Wall Street, He created finances, He created societies and governments and people and the whole universe. But what is the inner will? What's the purpose? What's the goal? What's, what's it all about? What does God really want in life? The inner goal is Torah and Mitzvot. The whole purpose of creation was what did God desire? What does God want? He wants us to study Torah and to do a Mitzvah. This is the whole purpose of creation. But in order to be able to fulfill that desire, God had to create a whole universe. Both heaven as well as earth. Created the whole comp complex universe, the spiritual universe, and its counterpart, a material, a physical universe. And then we operate within this framework. And then when we overcome difficulties that we have, and we overcome our natures, and we do the right thing, and we study Torah, and we do a mitzvah, this is what gives God pleasure. This is, the, this is what gives Him delight. This is what it's all about. This is the whole ultimate purpose. So what was his desire, his innermost desire was the mitzvot. That's what he wanted. That was the purpose. That's what it's all about. That's, that's what gives him pleasure. That's what God cares about. Wall Street, business, that's not what God cares about. He created it. These are all neutral. They're means to an end. He created this whole universe in order to be able, to enable us to do Torah mitzvot. Because there's a, a mitzvah, and it's one of the most important mitzvah, to give tzedakah. In order to give tzedakah, you need Wall Street, and you need the whole financial world, and you need currency, and you need money, and you need markets, and you need... But that's just a means to an end. It's what you do with it. It's when you utilize that money, that hard-earned money, and you give tzedakah, this is what gives God pleasure. When you do an act of goodness and kindness, this is what gives God pleasure. That's what it's all about. That's the ultimate goal, that's the ultimate purpose. That's when God, so to speak, comes, comes alive. That's what is, that's his nachas, that's his entertainment, that's his pleasure. But in order to achieve that, God also desired everything that exists. In order to achieve that goal, he had to create a whole world, a whole universe. So the mitzvot are the inner will of God. And they are clothed in all the worlds. In other words, that's the motivation why He created the entire universe. Both the upper world, the spiritual realms. Why did God create higher levels of consciousness and angels and all the supernal beings and all the spiritual, spiritual realms? It's just a means to an end. The end, the ultimate, is this world. Can that be quantified? I mean, is that something that you can say there are more observant Jews at this point in history therefore the world was better off in general. I mean, how do you know that that's really happening? We see what happened when the whole world became corrupt, 
it was destroyed, it self-destructed. Because God had no purpose for the world. What's the purpose? There's no purpose. If the purpose is just to be a godless, ruthless um, society, uh, purely evil and, and false and, and full of intrigue and deception, and God has no interest. He saved it because of Noah, because it was one human being, one family who had the more moral and ethics and integrity. A righteous Gentile, in his merit, he sustained the world. Because otherwise, otherwise God had no interest in the world. I mean, what's the point? The world is not an end in itself. It's just a means to an end. As the verse says, the tzaddik is the foundation of the world. The tzaddik is the pillar of the whole world. In his merit, God sustains the whole, the whole, the whole world. As it says, in certain generations, it was never, they never saw the rainbow. The rainbow was the sign of the covenant that God will never destroy the world. But in the generation of Shimon Bayechoi, the author of the Zohar, he was so righteous that in his merit, he sustained the whole world. There was never a rainbow. I'll never forget when the Rebbe passed away, when they brought the coffin out of 770, it was pointed out in the Channel 7, you know, the, all the TV stations were there. You can see a rainbow came out. Yeah. That moment was a beautiful rainbow. Was it raining that day? Yeah, it was raining. It started raining. Yeah, it was raining. It was drizzling. It was raining. And you saw a rainbow. It was almost like, <laughs> the only reason I'm not destroying the world now is because there's a rainbow. I made a covenant. But it's in the merit of the tzaddik single-handedly, God sustains the whole world because He gives God so much pleasure. The righteous person gives God so much pleasure, that's the whole purpose of creation. In other words, that was the purpose why He created it. Because of the souls of the righteous, when He saw how much good they're going to do, how much light they're going to bring. And despite all the darkness, and despite all the odds, they will overcome their, their nature and their human weakness and foibles and all, have the strength and the courage to do the right thing. This inspired God. That was the whole purpose of creation. That's what motivated him. There was no other reason. There was no other purpose. That's the only thing that, that delights God that he, that he finds interesting. That's entertaining to God. Everything else is, is meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. Inherently meaningless. It's just a means to an end. So the more we strengthen the core, the essence, the purpose, the more sustenance, the more life, the more blessing there is. And the Torah states it clearly. If the Jewish people will follow the Torah and the mitzvah, the whole world will be blessed. And they will usher in Mashiach. That's Mashiach. And the whole world will be blessed. Because God takes delight in the world. And God sees there's so much goodness, and so much selflessness, and so much kindness, and so much light. Then God blesses the whole world. Vice versa. It's not a punishment, it's a consequence. But this is, this is the motivating force, this is the, the energy, this is the, the behind everything. So the entire world, their sustenance is dependent on the performance of our mitzvah. So we are in the engine room, we are driving the whole universe. We have to be careful. What makes a person bad or good? I'm a little bit confused about that. I mean, some people are really mean and can murder people, and so how does a person get to be like that? I don't get it. It's not really so important uh, how and what got them there. It's um, because we believe that everyone has freedom of choice. Obviously, everyone has their struggle, everyone on their own level. It's hard for us to relate to a person who's, te who's tempted to murder. We just can't relate to it. We're not even tempted to murder. It's no big deal that we don't murder because we're not tempted to murder. I mean, it's so far, it's so foreign to us. You know, we, we can't think ourselves of, as paragons of virtue, virtue because we're not murderers. I mean, it's not even, it's not even, doesn't, we never, we never even entertain anything like, whether we're not rapists or murderers. 
and it's you can't just easily condemn someone who is because the question is in that, that area in your life that is a struggle for you how do you make out <laughs> are you able to overcome your instinct are you able to overcome your urges everyone has a struggle life is a struggle period everyone on their own level they tell a beautiful story there was a it's like a parable once a year there's a uh, convention of all the eight Saharas, of all the evil inclinations all over the world. <laughs> this was in, in Russia, and uh, there was the eight Sahara of uh, Berlin and the eight Sahara of Paris. They were sitting, they were the fattest, they were the strongest. They were sitting at the head, the bank, the head table at the banquet at the end of the year. Then you had the eight Sahara of the city of Lubavitch, very scrawny, <laughs> he was barely alive. <laughs> you know, he uh, looked anorexic, and he's sitting in the back. And they were all shocked. Who wins the prize for the most effective and most powerful Yetzirah was the one from Lubavitch. And everyone was stunned. What do you mean? How could, you, how could he win the prize? Look at the Yetzirah of Berlin and Paris. Look how many people they caused him to marry. And look how many, how, many, how many people they caused to sin. And how many people they caused to commit adultery. And Yetzirah of Lubavitch was embarrassed, ashamed. He had nothing to report. What did he have to report? He got a yeshiva boy. Uh, in the middle of praying, instead of thinking about meditating on the greatness of God, he was thinking about uh, an explanation in the Talmud, a naughty piece of Talmud, that wasn't the right time to think about it. You have to think about it when you study, when you're praying, you have to think about God. He was embarrassed, he was ashamed of himself, he had nothing to show for himself. And he won the prize. Because it's called trickle-down morality. In other words, when the greatest Jew, when he doesn't live up to his struggles, on his level, when he just coasts along and lives comfortably and doesn't overcome his struggle, that trickles down that another Jew will end up intermarrying or will fail in his struggle. So life is a struggle for everyone in their own level. But everyone does have the freedom of choice to be able to overcome their urge and their instinct. We're not animals. We're not condemned. Genes are not destined. There are 20 million recovering alcoholics in America who were gene-wise, predisposed to alcoholism. So, it's not destiny. It doesn't mean you're not an animal. You can overcome it. it Maybe difficult, but you can overcome it. Everyone has a struggle. Life is a struggle, period. And the purpose of life is not to succumb to your urges, to your instincts, to take the easy way out. The ultimate purpose in life is to be able to rise, to overcome your urge, overcome your instinct. That's when you come alive. That's when you exercise the greatest gift of all, a gift of freedom. We exercise the divine ability that God gave us. We have freedom of choice. So everyone has a struggle in their level. So you can't, again, you're right, you can't quantify it. You can't say, well, compared to this person, I'm righteous. He's, a mur- he's an axe murderer and I'm, I'm such a saint. Really, really. I mean, let's look a little closer. <laughs> Maybe he has such an overwhelming struggle, it's difficult for him to, to overcome it. Do you deal with your struggles well? You're not struggling, you're just coasting along. It's easy for you. Whatever you're doing, the good that you're doing is just comes natural. That's, that doesn't, that's not. You haven't cho- chosen, you haven't really overcome anything, you haven't had to exercise your choice, really grow, really change, really think about Hashem in a deep way, internalize godliness in a real way and become a godly person. You're like an animal, you're just coasting along. It's natural, it's instinctive, it feels good, it feels comfortable. That's not a paragon of virtue. That's, we haven't even started, we haven't even scratched the surface. So everyone in their own level, it's a quality thing. 
It's a very personal, subjective thing. Everyone at their own level, our trials and tribulations, our struggles are custom-made, customized, very personal. Because every one of us is unique, and we have our own unique trials and tribulations. We have our own areas in our life that are, seem to be insurmountable and difficult, and we simply can change. And we're so tempted just to throw in the towel and focus on those areas in our life that are easy to change. But that's the wrong answer. The right answer is we have, that's the key to our Fort Knox. That area in your life that's the most difficult, that's the key to your life. If you don't deal with it, if you ignore it, you'll never get anywhere. You'll never become anything. You'll never really grow. You'll never really exercise that divine potential. You'll never really connect with God. And when the greatest person is able to overcome his struggle, that gives strength to the axe murderer and the would-be rapist to overcome his urge and his instinct. The Torah demands of him to overcome his urge and not to murder. God stood at Sinai and God yelled, Thou shalt not murder with thunder and lightning. He's talking to a person who has an urge to murder. We can't even relate to it. But God expects that person to overcome his urge and not to murder because it's, God says, don't murder. But if the person on top trickle down morality, if the highest Jew challenges himself and pushes himself beyond his own limits, that will trickle down, that will give strength to the lowest person. Which explains why in the shtetl it was practically violent free. The madman in the shtetl was a, was a harmless, a harmless nincompoop. It was violent free. There was no violence in the shtetl. And why is society today so violent? And you can't explain it because of the inner cities. That's nonsense. During the depression, people slept with their doors open. There was worse poverty than anything we can imagine. There was no crime. Period. Zero. So what kind of nonsense, inner city crime, inner city violence? That, that, that's... It's because trickle-down morality. The problem is not the inner city. The problem is what's going on behind closed doors in the top 10%, the top echelon of society. If they're corrupt and decadent, yes, then the lowest 10% will end up being violent. But look at the shtetl. We were the top 10%. We were their heads. We were their minds. Where were they? They were spiritual. They constantly challenged themselves. They were growing. They were... They were struggling with their own spiritual, subtle struggles. But that gave strength to the lowest element, lowest common denominator, to elevate them. So everyone struggles in life, but everyone on their own level. A lot of it depends on nature and nurture and all of the above together. Why is one person ends up... You know, some people have broken families and broken homes, and they, you know, there are many, many th- causes why a person ends up with such struggles. And that's your strength. Don't forget, you have the strength. God doesn't give a person a challenge they can't handle. So if you were put into that position, that means that God had given you all the strength that you need in order to be able to overcome that difficult situation. And the greater the difficulty only means that you have greater strength than average. If you have below average difficulties, I mean, greater than average difficulties also means that you have extraordinary strength above average strength that you just have to exercise and to utilize. And there are many people with very humble backgrounds who grew into greatness. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky